This show is dedicated to former CBOA referee, John Mattingly. May he rest in peace. And welcome back to the greatest podcast in officiating, the Inadvertent Whistle Podcast. I am Scott Bachanson, and I am joined by my partner in crime, Adam Brick. And we are we are here at the end of the season getting ready for playoffs, and it's our, our usual uh, conversation about what we do to get ready for playoffs. And so, Adam, welcome back to another episode. And you want to say hey to the group and introduce our guest? Playoffs? Did you say playoffs? Um, nice to be back with everybody. We do have our special guest referee, Gorilla Monsoon, for all of you that remember back in the old WWF days when Gorilla Monsoon would be the special guest referee for all those big matches. We have our special guest referee, Richard Dickey V. Vaughn. Um, we'll just call him Gorilla Vaughn now. Um, so we're glad to have him as we begin to talk about End of the regular season, which here in uh, Virginia is tonight. There may be some games tomorrow, but uh, and playoffs starting. I uh, try playoffs uh, starting next week. Um, so yeah, we got to be on top of our games, fellas and gals. Um, we got teams getting ready to go home next week uh, and hang up the jerseys um, for the year. It's kind of crazy that um, we're coming to the end of the season already. Happens fast. Yeah, Dickie V back by popular demand. One of our most requested guests to return. Dickie V, man, it's good to see you, brother. Good to be back, boys. Thanks for having me. It is, um, you know, it, November comes around and we start the season and, uh, you know, feels like you got a nice big long window ahead of you. And then all of a sudden you turn around and it's the last week of the regular season. You're doing senior nights and uh, getting ready for the playoffs and uh, or playoffs. And uh, um, so the emotions and the intensity of the games, they elevate because these last few games have been obviously important for seeding purposes. And now we're, uh, uh, we're at the stage where uh, the games are going to matter and someone's going home. And unfortunately, when you're a high school player, and I know this firsthand, being of very little talent as a high school player, when you're a senior and your high school career is over, your basketball playing career is over. So uh, – um, hopefully the referees are doing a good job and they're not part of the discussion of why somebody's season and their career is over. There may be some coaches out there that think you have little talent in the referee also. Just Well, that, you know. that list is long and illustrious, I promise you. <laughs> it's actually a select few referees or a select few coaches that think I actually know what I'm doing. So. Well, I never said any of them know what you were doing. <laughs> I don't think any of us know what we're doing. It's just like, uh, just like being a young guy at the bar. You fake it until you make it, boys. That's right. Uh, um, I just want to know if we're going to have to pay Jim Mora any royalties um, after the show. We weren't <laughs> until you mentioned his name. <laughs> <laughs> so Dickie V brings up a good point, you know, in kind of what we do in this show. We, we talk about it's the end of the season. It's been a, it's been a really tough year. Um, for everybody, I mean, the, the coaches, players, but especially for us officials here in Cardinal, you know, we've had a couple of nights where all of our varsity games are usually three person where we've had to go to two person, um, you know, and so sometimes the ball will fly out on the sideline and nobody's got a whistle. And uh, so that's been a little interesting and, and, and tough to get used to for us. And, you know, I know that we want to have three officials on every every game and and sometimes it's just not possible, but we're now here in the playoffs. And so playoffs, we, we're, we're looking at the importance of drinking this, game, what, by the way, every time we that? say playoffs, you have to drink. Oh yeah. It's, well, it's a new drinking game. Sorry. Go ahead, Scott. I, I just think that it's important for us to make sure that we remind our, the referees. Okay. So we're in that season. Like Dickie said, at the end of the night, somebody's turning in their uniform. It also means that that player will never, never play basketball again for school they're, they're probably not playing college um and it's an important you know it's important game for everybody but so I, we, we usually like to talk about some things that we just want us as officials to pay attention to some things that are important to to remember the first thing i would say um 
you know, is, is, is something that I wouldn't have said at the beginning of the year, but for, for the end of the year, we, we have to learn how to have better communication with coaches and give them a little bit longer leash. We have to let the players react, have a natural reaction to a play. Uh, let's not go look to throwing in crap into the game and let's not, let's not put ourselves in a situation where we're deciding it. Right. So let's make sure that we're out there, you know, we're, we're refereeing the game, but we're also, we're giving them a little bit longer leash. So, um, you know, Dickie, I'll start with you. You know, you've been doing this just as long as, as Adam and I have, you're right at that 30 year mark, somewhere around there. What are some of the things that, that, that maybe you, you do differently in your communication with your partners during playoffs and maybe you would during the regular season? Well, I think uh, one of the things I've mentioned right off the get-go, you know, we talk a lot about games and play calling. Um, and I know you guys have talked about it in previous podcasts. You get into that phase, particularly in a regular season contest, the last three or four minutes of a close game, we call it that high degree of certainty time where we want – if we're going to put whistles in the game at that point, we want them to be good calls, high degree of certainty calls that we know a foul's a foul. Let's not project. Let's not guess. Let's not do things, um, you know, that we aren't seeing clearly and understanding that it is impactful on the play that's happening in front of us. So I would say I think in the playoffs you extend that out, and I think your high degree of certainty window is uh, greatly expanded once you get to the playoffs. Now, hopefully um, everybody is in a much better place with their game. Um, most of us have worked a lot of games. For me, I've worked more games this year um, than I probably have in the last five or ten years because of um, the referee shortage issue, COVID, reschedules because of uh, inclement weather. Um, and I think that's true of a lot of our officials. So we don't really have an excuse in terms of not seeing a lot of game action. So let's take all of that experience, all of those strange situations, and now let's sort of consolidate that in our minds and use it as we move into the playoffs to make sure we're calling what we need to call, but letting the players dictate the style and the pace of play. And we're only intervening when it's necessary to bring the game back to the uh, an appropriate level. If the game's getting overly physical, then obviously we got to crack the whistle. But we're not going to go in as officials, um, guns blazing with our whistles and our foul calls early on. The last thing you want to do in a playoff game, as we just mentioned, where you know someone's career uh, or a team, someone's career will be over, a team season will be over. The last thing you want to do is impact it in the first five or six minutes of the game with a couple of whistles that you get in the locker room at halftime and say, gosh, you know, I wish I hadn't called that hand check. Well, that hand check might not mean much in the first two minutes of the game, but when you combine that with maybe two fouls later in the first half, now you've possibly taken the best player of a team that's fighting for its playoff lives, and now you've put him on the bench. And those are the things that we're, you know, we're trying to think about and trying to avoid and keeping our participation in the game at a very basic level and not interjecting ourselves in a way that, you know, is overly impactful. So that's my thought process going into playoff games. That's funny because that's my thought process at the start of the season too. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's, that should be our mantra from day one of the season. Yeah. Is what you just described. Um, you know, one of the, Years and years and years ago, I went to one of the, the NASA conventions, and I remember a talk that uh, John Cloggerty gave, and it was called Gut Calls. And part of his presentation was, and he was talking about the college basketball game, so he was talking about, <coughs> excuse me, you know, do you call the last two minutes the same way you call the first 38 minutes? And his comment was I call the first two minutes of the game differently than I call the last 38. And, and I think that's apropos to, to all games, but certainly the playoffs in terms of what you just described, Dickie, is that, you know, you go to a, a first night district game or a regional game or a district final and the kids are amped up, the coaches are amped up, the crowd's amped up. 
Uh, we can't be amped up. We are, but we can't. And so John's uh, comment was, you know, in the first two minutes of the game, or, you know, you're, you're trying to get them to come down a little bit, let them play through some stuff, talk to them, see if they can't settle in, see if we can then determine, can we kind of do what you just said, just kind of stay out of the way. Uh, and so he, he talked about being a little bit, you know, that longer leash, as Scott described, or, or giving people a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt the first two minutes of the game, see if they'll settle into a style of play where we can become spectators if possible. Now, if they want to play a military action, then we got to treat it like a military action. Um, but if they can settle in and play, then to me, that's, that, that's, always, that's always what I'm trying to do. Um, and you're right, you know, we can't, we have to be really sure of our calls in the, in the playoffs um, because of the factor that, you know, on most nights, a loss in the playoffs means you're going home. Uh, in some cases, it still means you might advance in our system in Virginia to the regional, but for the most part, you're going home and, and, and we got to be better than we were in the regular season. You know, and when you get to that that point in this this part of the year, I think one of the things that and we talk about this a lot, but we we really need to be more focused in using common sense. And you know, one of the things that that I get to see up close regularly um, with the NBA officials is when a player gets in foul trouble, you know that a sub is coming. The NBA officials. They, they hit the whistle and stop and almost look at the coach saying, do you want to sub them? Before they they let the ball come and play. And it's not that the sub was there at the table, but they are going above and beyond to try to make sure that they're not they're not impacting the game where somebody gets their, their third early in the first quarter. Maybe somebody's got, you know, a, a player control foul, and then we have a reach-in foul, and there's five minutes to go in the first quarter. More than likely, the coach is going to want to get somebody else in. Maybe that player just needs to settle down, but we want to put the ball in play because we're, you know, no, the sub wasn't at the table, put the ball in play. Um, we need to, we just need to use common sense. We, and, and, and for both teams, you can't do it for one team and not do it for the other. You, you gotta, you gotta, and, and it's easy to have the conversation with coach, coach, hey, if it was your kid, I'd do the same thing. And by the way, if it happens, you better do the same thing. But I, I think just our common sense hat seems to to not be involved as much as it should be and could be when we get into the playoffs. And and I think that that's one area that I would, you know, maybe think that we should maybe talk a little bit more about. I'm glad you no, mentioned that. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that's um, – we talk about this a lot at camp, and you particularly see it at the higher-level camps, the collegiate identification camps, the – the pro camps, the, uh, the clinics. When we tell officials or we ask them mid-game when we're in the camp setting, what's the time, what's the score, what's the foul count, there's a reason for that, and you just hit upon it. You know, all of that information, if you're a really good official, you should be processing time, score, fouls, who just got the foul, what is their individual foul count, because knowing that information on the front end allows you to be aware of, okay, this kid just picked up two quick ones. Is the coach aware that that's two quick ones he needs to get him out? And like you said, you know, that's, it's always a good time to show situational awareness. Maybe, maybe you hold your partner who's looking to inbound the ball, just a little extra second, just maybe a soft hand, not way up here, just a soft hand to your partner say, hold on just a second. Because you're going to give that coach maybe an extra five, three to five seconds to process, okay, I got two, I got to get him out of there. Um, be aware of a run. And we talk about this a lot too. Team goes on a 6 0 run. Look at the coach with the expectation that he might be looking for a timeout. There is nothing better than a coach not having to come on the floor and scream timeout because he's already an emotional peak because his team's not playing well and he wants the timeout. The last thing we need him to do is to think the referees don't recognize it either. So now I got to run out on the floor and yell, because a lot of times I don't know how many 
times I've seen a coach appreciate the fact that you look at them, team just made a basket, that's the sixth point in a row, eighth point in a row, and you look at the coach and he doesn't even have to say a word, he just looks at you and goes, taps his shoulder. Doesn't have to say a word, but he's signaling 30-second timeout. Now you've told him, I understand the same game that you understand. I'm also recognizing the situation, and coaches appreciate that because then they realize, hey, this referee gets it. He, he gets the game the same way that I do. So now I don't really have to pay as much attention to him as I do my players. So, you know, those are tricks that you can use that let the coach take some of his attention off of you and put it back where it needs to be on the game and the players themselves. And, 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 and I also build credibility with coaches. Um, in what you're saying, Dickie, that, I mean, coach now, having seen you do that, you know, a gazillion times with, you know, early on in your career, they're like, yeah, okay. I know I'm in good hands when he's in the building. Yep. One of the things I, I, I want to make sure everybody, um, you know, can appreciate and understand when we talk about knowing what the fouls are on players, if a kid does get too early or three early, if those are legit, no brainer, you know, knock the other player to the floor. All we're saying is just recognize the fact that you might have a kid with three. I'm not saying to do anything about it. On the other hand, what I would say is if, particularly if you're one of the officials who called one of those fouls and you're pretty sure, you know what, I think I might have nickel-dimed that kid to, uh, to, to paraphrase um, Raftery on the nickel-dimer, then, you know, I'm going to be a little bit more careful with my next one because I've just nickel-dimed that kid with a foul that perhaps I could have laid off. So I need to, we need to be aware. You call it cataloging, right, Scott? I call it consistency. Um, but, you know, we need to be consistent. We need to understand when perhaps we've made a mistake. I'm not saying to compound it with another mistake, but I'm just saying to be careful with the next one. And, and, you know, there's, there's, we were talking before we started recording, but there's a lot of times where as the crew chief in a game, you, you, Wait, we're recording have, this. Oh, we're recording this. <laughs> oh, jeez. Take it all when, back. <laughs> when, when we are in a situation where maybe our partner doesn't recognize something happening, you know, so in that situation, if my partner was getting ready to put the ball in play because he doesn't see a sub or doesn't see my hand up or whatever, it's very easy for me just to blow the whistle and say, hold on, hold on. We have a problem with the book. Hold on. Yep. Turn around and, and you know, hey, Cindy, how, how are things going here at Herndon, right? <laughs> um, it gives the coach an extra second. We're, we're not trying to do anything underhandedly. We're just trying to, to, to do what's right for the game. Um, and it doesn't matter which team it is. So I think it's important to be able to, to identify that aspect as well. And, and you know, it's it's interesting because you know like this year we had a lot of transfers come in and uh, you know Dicky there was a couple of times where you you were like uh, I worked with this new guy last night or not you know I worked with another new guy this night before it's like you're introducing yourself to people like halfway during the season and then we get to the time of the playoffs and things get to settle down a little bit we get to we get to out there and we get to work with people that we have more familiarity with people that we've had other playoff games with. The one thing I see sometimes that can be difficult is we still have to know our role. So if, if, if I'm working a game with one of you two now on most of the games that I work, I'm a crew chief. I handled my business. We take care of things. I'm responsible for the game management side of things. But if I'm working with one of you guys, I need to understand I'm yielding to one of you. And it has nothing to do with, you know, who's, who's better at handling it. It, it. It's all about who's going to handle it and who's going to, because we start getting into the, the weeds of, you know, we have some game management things that we need to take care of. If I start stepping on, on your toes or Gil Mack's toes, it just, it just gets to be difficult. And, and we were talking the other day about, we have a young official who works in the G league. He's going to, he's, he's on his way. He's, he's fantastic. 
we got another young lady who's working Division One. She'll probably get a shot at the G League next year. These officials are they're on their way. But when there's a, a playoff game at the high school level, the coach wants to see Adam Brick handle any issues, wants to see Dickie V, Gil Mack, Carl Armstrong. They don't want to see the new hot young official that's on their way up because they don't have that experience yet. So I'm saying this because we have to remember our roles and we have to understand that, you know, you may be a crew chief all year, but that night you might be the U2 and you're just out there being a play caller. And I think that's really important for us as officials too. Adam? You know, I would agree with that. I mean, I remember, and I talked about Gene, I've talked about Gene a lot, Gene Harrison, who was a longtime member of Cardinal. He's retired now. Uh, one of the one of my mentors in, in officiating, I learned an incredible amount from Gene about the game, uh, how to officiate, what to call, what not to call, how to deal with people. Uh, and I remember one night, it was early on in the, in the three-man days, and it was uh, the crew was Gene, uh, me, and Steve Jones. So two young guys with Gene. And Gene's like, yeah, you guys, you guys take care of the pregame. And it was, a, it was a big game. I don't remember what the game was. Um, he's like, you guys take care of the pregame. Um, yeah. And we were like, that's fine, Gene. We'll take care of that. But when we go out there, you're tossing the ball because that's what the coaches expect. Coaches are going to expect to see you as the man in the middle, not one of the two of us. And so um, he's like, okay, but you guys got to go to the – one of you guys has to go to the book because I forgot my glasses. Like, no problem. We'll go to the book. But you got to be the guy in the middle tossing the ball because that's what the coaches expect. And so, you know, I agree with that. Yeah, I think so. And it, listen, it only comes with time and experience. Um, Adam's been a president of our association now for two runs. I've had a run for uh, a couple of terms. Uh, Scott's been our vice president and has handled a good part of the development training of our officials the last few years. And there's no amount of training experience, game calling ability that replaces just the comfort level of familiarity. Now, once you've been there and done that and proven it on a certain stage, you have built in credibility that uh, you, you just can't, find a substitute for. So it's not, if you're a U2 on a crew, don't think of it as, you know, like some kind of demotion. Don't think of it as, oh, I'm, you know, I'm here to disappear tonight because, you know, I'm not the, the crew chief or the U1. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of the third wheel. None of that exists. We always say in pre-games when we do pre-games, and of course, Adam Brick and I are probably the world's worst in terms of uh, managing uh, a very lengthy pregame situation. But you know, the, the mentality is, particularly at the playoff level, we got three referees on the floor. We don't have a U1 and a U2. We got three R's. Now there's obviously going to be the guy who throws it up or the guy who's listed as the R that if things really go south, he's going to be the voice of reason. He's going to be the one that has to go to the table and take care of it. But um, I always said when I was president, one of the things that surprised me the most was I got a number of calls from people who wanted to be crew chiefs and they were good officials trying to get to the next level. And I really didn't have much to offer in terms of advice other than enjoy being the U1 or the U2. My best memories in this association have been as a U2 working with some of the crews like Adam just mentioned, where, you know, you're working with seasoned pros guys that you looked up to, guys that you always appreciated watching them officiate. They always were able to manage a game and just being able to plug and play in those groups and just call the necessary things right in my primary area, but then more or less become a sponge and just watch seasoned pros handle things in a way that basically taught me how to do it years later. But, it, you know, it, it's a – in addition to you being a, a, an official trying to move your way up, uh, you know, those times you're working playoff games, it's still a learning experience for you to pick up on things and learn from the very best. And uh, 
Um, and now hopefully that I'm in the twilight of my career, as the two of you are, hopefully we're at a stage now where we're imparting some of those skills that were taught to us. And now we're hopefully going to pass it on to the next generation of officials. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause if the three of us are working a game, somebody has to be assigned as the crew chief, but it, it, it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. It's a ceremonial right? a title it, it, at best. It, it's who has to go over to the book and, make sure we don't have any pregame technicals, um, you know, and who, who picks out the game ball, um, which is if I'm doing it, it's the point guard for the home team that picks out the game ball. Um, but, you know, one of the other things, I know we we're talking about playoffs, but during a regular season, you know, typically, uh, you know, the, there, we have a lot of officials like us who will have a crew that has some younger officials or maybe some less experienced officials. And there are times in the game where stuff happens. And I also see part of my responsibility at times to handle it. I also see sometimes though, my responsibility is to sit back and let them handle it to see how they do and to see what they do. Um, You know, we're going to try to avoid letting them step in some big old hole but sometimes they need to step in a hole to learn. And, and that's, a, that's a fine line for us to walk because we don't want to do that at the expense of teams. But at the same time, we also need to allow uh, lesser experienced, newer officials the opportunity to try. Yeah, so- absolutely agree. So let's transition to uh, one of our normal uh, parts in the show and talk about our pet peeves. And so I think one of the things that when we get to this time of year uh, is I notice that people get more consumed with who's working what game. And one of the things you said, Adam, earlier, you know, doesn't matter who's going to be the crew chief on the game. I think the key thing for us as officials, we got to just remember that we have a job to do. And if we get consumed in some of these other things, it, it just it, it really gets to be frustrating. And you're, you're starting to, to not pay attention to you know what's going on. I, I'll give you a great example of what Adam was just talking about. A couple of years ago, or maybe you know three or four years ago now, we had a, we had a great game down at Wakefield and they were playing Marshall. And it was one of those games where you go home and it was myself and Adam and the undertaker, Willie Wood. And we gave Willie the the under the Undertaker nickname this year because he had three straight games where he he rung up a basket at the buzzer to send people home. And so we called him the Undertaker because it's like he was entering the gym and someone was going home. That game, Adam had last shot. Now he, he could have let his ego get in the way. He could have let uh, you know the situation. You know, well I'm in here for the reason. I'll, I'll take care of this. Instead, he looked at the situation, realized that they were putting the ball in play. There was going to be pressure on that side right in front of him. He, he may have to go into the backcourt. He's probably not going to be in the best possible position he could be in. And so he gave up the last shot to Willie. And we talked about this, you know, during the timeout. And Adam said, no, I think it's better that you have it. And he, t- he put his ego aside. And so my pet peeve is that sometimes officials won't put their, their, their ego to the side. They're worried about who they're working with. They're worried about who has other games. They're not worried about taking care of business and, and focusing on their responsibilities for that game. So that would be my pet peeve. Who wants next? Go ahead. Well, mine is, a, is kind of in the same vein. It's that, you know, we all, I've only met one official that, in my time, whose ego uh, wasn't really large. We all have big egos. Um, It's hard to do what we do without having a lot of self-confidence in our abilities. And so I don't worry about what other games people have because I assume that since I'm doing this game, it must be a big game because I have a big ego too. And so I don't worry about – it's the only game these two teams are playing tonight. It's the only – thank God it's the only game I'm working because I don't do double headers anymore. Um, so 
it's a big game. And I, and, and we're there to work hard. I'm not worried about where I'm working the next night or if I'm working the next night, it's that game. That's the task at hand. And, you know, for me, and, and we talked about this, uh, Scott, when we had Jackie on a few weeks ago, that time in the gym, you know, that hour and a half to two hours is kind of like my oasis away from the day. As crazy as it is for people who don't referee to understand that, all of us that do referee have a pretty good understanding of what I mean. And so I agree with you. Let's not worry about what other people have. What, what our signers have to do is not an easy job. They have to figure out how to co- not only just sheer numbers game of how do I, how do I cover these games with the officials that I have? We have enough officials, but we don't have enough available officials. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I find the right mix of, of a crew and also for the game that has to be officiated. Um, and that's hard. And so we shouldn't make their jobs harder by, you know, being junior high school-ish boys and girls about who's working at what game. So I'm going to pile on to your pet peeve. Nikki? Well, I'll add a story. Um and all of us have experienced it. Uh, it. You know, it's a legendary story. And Cardinal, you know, there used to be a period of time when um, um, there were a lot more officials that would go out and socialize at the end of games. Uh, we would all pick a, a restaurant or a, a bar, and uh, particularly at playoff time, we would all go to the same place, talk about our games. Uh, a lot of us would have brackets, uh, you know, the uh, – uh, trying to figure out the next matchups based on who won and lost. And there was, you know, at this point of the season, just to let you guys in on some inside baseball, you know, they get, you know, obviously because we don't know the teams and who's moving on and matchups, you get assigned on a night-by-night basis. So in the regular season, you can get your schedule a month in advance, a week in advance, but you've got at least some leeway to know what nights you're working and which games you're going to get. Well, come playoff time, it's uh, – a night-by-night situation. So on any given evening, we'd all go to the same bar and the commissioner, the assigner of the games, knew that we would go to the same bar. So essentially one phone call could be made to assign the next night's games. So the tradition among all the officials uh, was to decide, well, which officials are going to work the next night and who has worked their final game of the season. And the great Mickey McDade used to have uh, a ceremonial fork that he would pull from the, uh, the, the napkin of the restaurant that we happened to be at. And Mickey would make a prediction. He would walk around with his fork. And if he thought your season was done, you were probably going to get the little fork poked into you. Hey, but, but, but Dickie, it was, it was a special fork. It was one of those extender forks that he bought where he, Correct. Could, he could, yes, yes, it was not a little fork. Yes, you could reach uh, several benches down from <laughs> yes. the bar to uh, to get some poor sap whose season was probably over. And and to be candid, it was very much a Hunger Games kind of uh, uh, scenario because inevitably the assigner would call someone on their cell phone and say, hey, uh, Dickie V, you're going to work at Hayfield the next night. You're going to do the, the Hayfield uh, whoever game. And then because he or she knew who was at the bar, likely she'd go, oh, is uh, Adam there? And I would take my cell phone, hand it to Adam, and then Adam would get his assignment. And then Adam would then be told, is so-and-so there? And the phone would keep getting passed around until there was nobody else to pass it around to. And suddenly the people that were at the bar and you didn't have the phone handed to you, that's how you found out that your season was officially over. So it can be a very brutal business. And, of course, you know, all of us all got along for the most part and joked about it. So – uh, we turned it into a comic affair, but, uh, you know, it, um, the immortal words of Steve Jones, I must suck. I must suck. I'm right. Back. And the funny thing is, is I'll see Mickey this week and he'll be, he and his wife will be in our house for Super Bowl on Sunday. So I'm going to, uh, we got to make sure we get him on, uh, one of these, Scott. Yeah, that's, um, that's actually a great idea. And, you know, we talk about how we all had, and for Adam, um, 
um, had talked about his mentors and him being such a big fan of Gene Harrison. For me, when I transferred into this association, Mickey McDade was still at the peak of his powers as an official. And Mickey was the guy that I found as my role model for officiating. He just looked smooth as silk on the floor, always in control, never elevated emotions. Just like, Hey, I got this. I'm, I'm cool as school. And um, that's who I always wanted to be like when I was trying to work my way up in the Cardinal hierarchy. Cause I thought, well, that guy looks like he knows what he's doing. That's who I want to look like. And, he's uh, still cool. He he remind he's for some reason he's always reminded me of Tom Selleck. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, he's he he's as cool as they come. Um, and I, and I'm with you on that. I, I you know we were talking earlier uh, before we started um, taping about one other thing in terms of this time of year. We have some friendly faces in the stands usually at playoff games. Right. We, we don't necessarily have uh, any friends in the stands during the regular season. <clears throat> and we bring that up because. And I made the analogy that uh, having officials in the stands <clears throat> can be a combination of our phone, a friend and uh, instant replay. And actually a story with with Mickey one time. He and I were doing a playoff game. It was back in the two man days. And, and, a, and a friend of ours was, was thinking about coming back to officiating, a gentleman named Craig Tartaski, uh, who was one of my longtime friends, and may he rest in peace, uh, passed away about, oh, geez, a dozen years ago, probably. Um, but he, he rode with us to the game. And, uh, you know, we said to him, so where are you going to be sitting? He goes, I'm going to sit probably about 10 rows up on the scores table. I'm like, okay, great. So Mick and I, we're, it's, I think it's the end of the third quarter, and we got a little bit – got to play to the hole. There's a little bit of a – got a whistle. There's a scrum. And then what seemed like five or ten seconds later, the horn goes off, and that's because the timer never shut the clock off, stopped the clock. And so we're, we're not paying attention to the clock. We're just trying to make sure these, these two teams don't kill each other. And we separate them. We send them to the benches, and we got – all right. <coughs> said – Mick, what, what do you think? He goes, I got no clue. I said, I don't have any clue either. We got to have some time back on the clock. He goes, yeah. He goes, well, how do you want to handle this? I said, well, that's what Tartaski's here for. So we were we were standing underneath the bucket, and I just slow rolled a walk to the table, and, and Tark was flashing signals to me to tell me it was like 5.2 seconds on the clock. And so I walked over to the table, told him to put 5.2 on the clock, and away we went. I had definitive knowledge because – Somebody I trusted told me exactly how much time to put back on the clock. It's such a great story, but it's also that common sense thing where, you know, hey, where are you sitting? It, it, it can really help you. So that's good stuff. I, I want to get to our mailbag. Um, there's there's two mail here. I, I'm going to I'm going to pause on one to give you guys some time to think about what you want to share. That's a dangerous uh, proposition. But uh, Scott Grove, former official in Cardinal who lives in Connecticut, asked us, do you guys have any good stories of pranks that you've pulled on your fellow officials during games or in locker rooms or whatever? So think about that. We'll pause on that. And I'll, I'll answer this second question, which is from Jim Faruqi. He wants to know if there are camps, any referee camps that we would recommend for officials this summer. So, uh, Jim, I will I will just answer this quickly by saying we're going to have a show uh, a little later on after the season dedicated to camps. Um, but I will share. I I I think uh, there there may be uh, a, a couple for you, so I'll, I'll reach out to you separately. But um, for those that that weren't aware, our sponsor, the Steve Gordon Basketball Officials Camp, the registration is open sgboc.org you can go there you can go to the info and then you can register for the camp um it's down in ashland virginia at randolph macon college and we will be having two sessions one on a friday through sunday at the end of june and one monday through wednesday uh, the third week of july so you'll be able to find the dates there you'll be able to look at uh, you know invited guests from from past and present and uh, learn a lot more about the camp. If you're staying on campus and need a place to stay, 
it's $250. It's $185 if you don't, if you're going to put yourself up or you're going to uh, drive in. Um, we have scholarships available. Um, one uh, funded by uh, Dickie V himself. He had, he had uh, paid a game fee that he had gotten uh, to pay for that. And, and one of the things that we really try to focus on um, is our officials that are in lower income areas or rural areas that maybe don't have the resources to have the training and development that, that some of the larger associations do. So we, we're going to focus on that. Also, every, uh, every VHSL association is going to receive two full scholarships this year. And you can break those up however you want, in full or in half. And so Jamie Eberly, who's our associate director and commissioner liaison, uh, sent an email out to all the commissioners across VHSL. So if you are part of VHSL, but you're not belonging to the Cardinal and you're interested in coming to camp, reach out to your assigner and let, let him know or her know that that's available. So uh, Jim, we'll, we'll answer that question in more detail. We'll probably have some people on like Steve Gordon maybe Roger Ayers and uh, Eric Lewis, a couple of other people that are going to run camps and we'll, we'll have them on. So, all right, let's go back to the original question from Scott Grove. Have you ever played a, a prank or a joke on a fellow official that uh, you can share? So either one of you boys want to go first? Go ahead, Richard. It is, um, you know, it, Listen, we referee a game, and for those of us who've played and officiated it, you know, it, listen, it's it's a serious matter. Wins and losses count. Everyone's competitive. Um, everyone wants to win, um, but at its very core, it's also a game. It's entertainment, and so there's always a fine line between keeping the level of seriousness as it should be for a competition versus also recognizing, Hey, we're also human beings having a good time. And we have the luxury of having the best seat in the house. Every night we walk out on the floor. So there's, uh, there's always things that we like to do to each other. Uh, it's better, you know, pranking is one of those things. It's better done with an equally experienced partner. Uh, I, I sometimes think some of the young kids, uh, uh, you try to pull a prank on them and you can get in their head a little bit and it might just screw the game up. But uh, um, everyone knows the old trick of blowing back the toss. You, you know, you're, we go back to what we were saying earlier in the crew chief and who's going to throw the ball up. And in the regular season, a lot of times if I have a, uh, a good young official who I think's on the, the glide path to being a crew chief. I think it's always a good opportunity for me to let them slide into that slot, let the coaches see them in the key position. But it usually comes at a cost. When I put them in the slot, I'm probably going to put a situation on them, either with uh, a situation in the scorebook or I'm going to blow back their toss. They throw it up to start the game, and it can be a perfectly good toss right up the middle between two guys, and you just blow it back. Um uh, I used to stick chewing gum in people's whistles if they weren't paying attention. Uh, so their first whistle is nothing but air. Um, <laughs> I like to hide pants in the locker room. Referees are bad to leave their bags sitting there and then go back out on the floor. There's nothing better than taking a referee's trousers and putting them somewhere because anybody who's been in this business as long as we have, you've had that moment where you forgot to pack your bag or you forgot to pack your trousers or your stripes and you get to the school and you open up the bag and you're like, Oh my God, I didn't bring my pants or oh, I don't have my stripes. And, you know, fortunately referees were sort of OCD by nature. So there's generally a partner who's got something there to bail you out. But uh, um, there's always little tricks that you can pull. I try not to get, too much into the game. Everything for me is a prank, is a pregame. Uh, I think it gets really dangerous sometimes when you get in the game situation that something that seems funny and a good idea, you know, happens at the wrong time in a game. And, you know, you don't ever want to do something that might be impactful to how an official is working an actual contest. So pregame is the time to do your pranks. Uh, but once the ball goes up, that first couple of seconds, that's your last chance in my book. Yeah. After that, 
uh, it's a dangerous proposition to get into the prank game during a contest. Oh, I would, I would agree with you, <coughs> Dickie. I would say one of the, uh, and I, there's many I can choose from. Uh, one of the better ones uh, was not with a, a lesser official or an equal official. It was with a far superior official. Um, and that was Brian Kersey. Uh, he and I were working a game together. And uh, during the national anthem, you know, all the, all the big time officials like to keep that whistle in their pocket with the lanyard hanging out. And I have enough trouble putting the lanyard on. So I put it on a locker room and I leave it on. Um, but I was next to Brian. And for some reason, I just felt the urge to take that whistle out of his pocket. And I swiped it and he didn't notice it. And I put it in my pocket. And we finished the anthem. They do the intros. Um, we wait for the, for the game to start. They go to, they go to commercial break and he, he goes out and he's going to bounce the, you know, he's bouncing the ball to the, to the, to the point guards. And I see him <clears throat> reach to his pocket for his whistle. And I can, and I, I'm watching, the only thing I'm watching is him. And he reaches to his right pocket. It's not there. He reaches to his left pocket. It's not there. Now he's starting to like touch all his pockets and, now he's going to his chest to see if it's if it's if it's around his neck for some reason, and and it's not. He, you can see the look on his face, and I now have taken it out of my pocket, and I'm holding it up and dangling it, swinging it back and forth to him, and and, and now he starts to crack up, and we meet halfway, and when I give him his whistle, he just says to me, "I hope you don't need any help tonight, mother." Mm-hmm. And we laughed and we went along our way, but yeah, that was a fun night. I swear, um, I used to always keep my whistle in my pocket until you told that story. <laughs> and I, and every time I work with you, I put it around my neck before we leave the locker room because I just, I know it's going to happen one day, and I'm not going to be part of that story. So, oh, there's two things that, and you got all the subs. <laughs> That's right. So here's my question about the whistle in the pocket thing for the referees. Is there really a strategic reason for leaving the lanyard hanging out of the pocket? Or is that just a cool look that developed over time? I've never understood it's the style. lanyard hanging out of the pocket. It just it's looks style. stupid to me. It's style, Rick, Dickie. And, and you and I have different kinds of style. That ain't one of them. Yeah, that ain't, that ain't my style. So before I share mine, I, I, I got to tell you, there's, there's, a, there's a story – um, we, we dedicated a show earlier this year to our good friend, uh, Bill Naylor, who passed away. Uh, Bill had an accident in a, in a locker room at Parkview High School some, gosh, 15 or 20 years ago. And he, and he felt he was trying to change either a clock or a sign up on the wall and stood on a chair that had rolling casters. And it slipped out from underneath him and he went down in a heap. He broke his wrist. He was... He was out, you know, he had to have surgery. I had the game the following week, but there was a game in between us. And I went into the locker room that night and there was an outline of tape of a body laying on the ground. And the associate AD came in and said, one of the referees that was here the other day, put that up, put that down and said, leave it here for the guys on Friday night. And I looked in the book, and the name that, that was last in the, in the book said Adam Brick. Now, Adam says he didn't do it, and I believe him because it was a great, it was a great prank. And uh, we had a lot of laughs, but I, I, I don't know how it wasn't Adam, but I, I, I agree. I, I will trust him to say that. Uh, I plead the fifth. It was, it was one of the funniest things I've seen when you see taped outline of where Bill Naylor fell. Um, so I'll, I'll share this story. Some people already have heard this, but a few years back, I was working a game at Chantilly with Ron Jackson, and I don't remember who our third was. But the announcer at Chantilly is one of our own officials. He's a he was at the time he was you know an up and coming freshman JV official, and I walked over to him and I handed him a piece of paper, and uh, he was also the public address announcer, and he. He looked at it and he looked at me and he said, really? And I said, I said, yeah, I said, 
don't say anything now, but sometime announce that because it's a big deal for him. I mean, so the note on it said, Ron Jackson is refereeing his 5,000th game tonight. And sure enough, we get through the first quarter, and honestly, I forgot about this. But Ron is over on the other side. He's he's holding the ball, getting ready to put it in play to, to start the second quarter. And you hear, ladies and gentlemen, please direct your attention to the official holding the ball across the court. Mr. Ron Jackson is refereeing his 5,000th game. And everyone starts standing up. Jim Smith comes out of the Chantilly huddle and he waves at Ron like, that's great. Congratulations. Dave Brooks from Oakton, one of the great guys, does the same thing. And I'm just laughing my ass off. And, and Ron looks at me and he's like, you mother, you know what? And to top the story off where we got fun, is the game got a little close towards the end of the fourth quarter. And this is kind of to Dickie's point, like maybe not do this during the games, but Ron called a travel against Chantilly. And Jim was not happy about it. And he looked at me and he goes, he better not be back here for 6,000. <laughs> just, it was awesome. And and just think for people, I, the laughably absurd number of 5,000. It's um, <laughs> Ron would have to be pushing about 122 years old to reach 5,000 games. Uh, it's, it's 100 games for 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have some guys that might get there with, if you include rec games. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Gil, Gil Mack, Mack might be Chuck a 5,000 game guy. <laughs> Already. <laughs> Although apparently Jerry Caruso is working more double headers this year than anybody in the history of mankind. So well, he's young. This is true. Well, that, that's going to wrap up another edition of the Inadvertent Whistle podcast. Dickie V, any last words from you, my friend? Everybody enjoy the postseason. Let's be thankful. I, you know, last year we never thought we were going to get a season in and we were able to squeeze it in in the age of COVID. This season hasn't been much better. I mean, we've allowed people in the stands again off and on. Um, but I learned to – I actually missed having people in the stands. I thought last year was miserable. I enjoy having interaction with, with people in the crowd. I'm glad people are back and they're cheering for their kids and they're booing the referees. It's just, it's a great time of year. Enjoy it. Right now it feels like we're at the tail end of this new variant of COVID. So hopefully there'll be some sense of normalcy and let's all just hope and pray that come next fall when basketball resumes for another glorious year, that we'll be back to just complete normalcy and kids can play and Fans can be in the stands without masks, and we can all just enjoy this this game that's given us so much. You know, hey, Dickie, our egos are so big that when fans are booing, we we are both thinking, oh, it must be the other guys on the crew because they're not yeah. booing us because no, we're I've, freaking great. I haven't missed a call in 32 years, so I don't know <laughs> what they're talking about. And I haven't missed a call all season, but I've been watching <laughs> it on TV. So, Well, look, Dickie, we love having you. We'll, we'll probably have to have you back again just because it's it's just fun to hang out. And uh, I want to, before I turn it over to Adam for the last word, I want to make sure that I also say this. Officials, keep a bag packed and ready. You never know. Yep. I've gotten a call at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Somebody had to turn their game back. I remember Joe Salcetti, he got a flat tire, and I had to – I got a call at 5.30 to, to go do a regional semifinal. Um, oh, that's nothing. I know, <laughs> I know you've got some some of that too. But you know what? I'm gonna I'm just gonna let you finish up with whatever you want to add on to that, and then as always, Adam, you got the last word. No, I'll let Dickie tell that story because he lived it. He was right there. I I lived that story. Uh, we had an official who, for some reason, I mean, getting a a regional semifinal is the. Uh, you know, it's one of the great honors of an association. You're getting to work one of the last games in the region before the state tournament. You're probably on the state roster if you're getting that kind of game as well. Uh, and we had a guy who sort of ghosted us, got an assignment, was a great referee, um, had traffic issues, but for some reason couldn't communicate that to anyone. And we, it's, you know, the regional semifinals are a, it's a two game set. So he was going to work the second game and I'm sitting there at the table with our esteemed commissioner at the time, Cecil Hurst. And 
you know, Cecil is this time of year, he Cecil could get a little manic because he wants everything to work out the way that he's carefully organized it and plotted it out. And we got to the point where we realized this guy's not showing. And, um, you know, Cecil's going through his mind trying to work. Are we going to take one of the officials in the first game? And I was like, no, let's not do that. I don't want somebody to work a doubleheader. And uh, I was still president at the time, so I sort of had some ancillary say in these matters, but very little. And I said, let's call Brick. Because, that you know, let's face it, with Cardinal, uh, whenever things go south, we figure the best person to call is Brick because when something's already screwed up, let's pick the guy who can screw it up even more but make everybody laugh about it. So I think I get on the cell phone and I call Adam. And, of course, he doesn't answer because, you know, why would he? And I left a message. I said, Brick, call me. This is not a joke. I need you to come to Robinson. And, uh, Brick, you can take the story from there. Well, the funny thing is, is it was a fr- – I remember this was a Friday night. And we typically during the year, especially when the kids were a lot younger, we used to do pizza on Friday and watch a movie in the basement. And so I had gotten home from work and we had actually thought about going to the games that night uh, earlier in the day and take the kids. But as some of you know, my wife also referees and and she had gotten a call that day to work the girls final the next night. So we weren't going to schlep the kids to two nights. So we just figured we'll just go Saturday night. So I got home from work. The pizza's already at the house. I'm upstairs changing and there's a cold beer waiting for me in the basement. And I get that, that call from Richard and I call him back and and I couldn't hear him because the crowd noise was so loud. And he's like, you know, this isn't a joke. Cecil needs to talk to you. I'm like, well, why can't Cecil call me? So Cecil gets on the phone. He's like, can you get to Robinson? I said, for what? He goes, I need you to do the eight o'clock game. Now, mind you, I think it was 6.30 or 6.45 at this point. Correct. Um, I said, well, yeah, I can get there, but I just need a place to park because I know it's going to be crowded. So, I, I, you know, most referees – are not going to be able to tell their spouses that they're leaving um, to go to a game when you're supposed to do a family night. Uh, But because my wife is a referee and completely understands the situation, I yelled down two flights of stairs. Hey, Chris, I got to go. I got to go do the eight o'clock game at Robinson. He's like, okay. And so I just hustled out and made it to the gym and turned out to be a, Kind of a ho-hum game. All the excitement happened at the end of the first game. Yeah. And I missed it because I was in the locker room. Of course. And we'll give you some bonus content, folks, since uh, this is what we do. We tell these stories, and one story leads to another. Bach mentions, you know, always packing a bag. I won't mention any names, but let's just say there are a good number of officials who pack a bag knowing they're not going to work, but they might show up at a gym and can avoid an admission charge by rolling in there dressed up in a suit, rolling their bag in because everyone thinks they're an official. And, you know, maybe you get a, a $10 pass into the, uh, into the gymnasium for a there were also tournament. There were also probably a bunch of officials who had their bag packed in the car that night. <laughs> yes. Let's, let's, let's yes. be clear about that. Yeah. Oh, and let's we be all clear know, we about all, we, yeah, we there were people us. in the stands we would never have allowed that call to go to, and they were just dying to get that uh, that point from Cecil. Oh, please work this game. It's like, not quite ready for that just yet. Well, before we got before Cecil showed up, Robert Robert Zayas and I assigned Mac uh, McAndrew. <laughs> he was supposed to do that game, and we we uh, moved him. Um, he was the, supposed to do the eight o'clock game. He was supposed to do the eight o'clock game. We moved right. him to the six o'clock game because we needed an official, and uh, and we 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 called Cecil like eleven times, we couldn't get him. So Robert's like, "What do you want to do?" I said, "To put let's put McAndrew on the game. We'll just take the heat. If we take the heat, we take the heat." And it ended up working working out, except for you know, we can we can talk about that story of the end of that game on a later date, but. I think we, that we was have, the same week, Scott, that the, the game you talked about earlier where you and me and The Undertaker did at 
Wakefield. Wasn't that the same week? No, you had that broad run versus Wakefield game that Kaz and you guys were talking about. Okay. And then you said, I could have ended my season right there, but instead you got the you got that game oh. the next oh. night. Oh. <laughs> well, that, look, that's a good way to end. We, we try to, you know, we're going to be in about an hour, so this will be a lot of fun for somebody to listen to, um, one of our seven listeners. I think we'll be down to six after this week, but. So, Dickie V, thanks for joining us. And Adam, as always, you have the last word. May all of you have great playoff runs, and that includes any coaches and players that are listening. And uh, may this be the only inadvertent whistle.